Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. Now here is Pastor Jesse Peterson. song will be stuck in your head. Old Testament. I don't know why they talk about ice cream. I have no idea, but it's just easier to talk about than Nehemiah, probably. Lamentations. I don't know. My name is Pastor Jesse. Uh, I'm so excited to be here to talk with you today. I told Pastor Ken, uh, you know, he gave me the assignment. We're in Multiply Book. How many of you guys have been reading Multiply Book? Yep. Liars? No, I'm just joking. I'm glad. <laughs> I hope that you are into that book because, man, I found that book fantastic. I've been in the church a long time, and yet that book has been fantastic to read. Um, You know, uh, just a little update on where I'm at in life and what's been going on. Joanna, my wife and I, we've been here at Northgate over a year now. We're very excited about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were blessed six weeks ago with a brand new baby girl named Iris May, and she's adorable, and... Uh, if you see me walking around and I've got some kind of something going on here, it's because I pretty much only wear black shirts and baby puke doesn't show very well on black shirts, but she's six weeks old, she's healthy, she's happy, and you just can't ask for anything more. And uh, people ask me all the time, I have friends uh, back in Roseville and Sacramento area and other areas, family, they ask me, say, how's it going? I said, man, we love it at Northgate. We love it at Northgate. And I said, I tell them all the time, I don't know if people at Northgate know how special Northgate is. I don't know if they know how special it is. A couple weeks ago, we had 13 baptisms. Not all of them planned, by the way. There are churches who go years and they don't baptize 13 people. Okay? That's a big deal. Baby dedications, every baby dedication is five, six. We're breeding them out here. This is great. (laughs) This is a beautiful thing. There's so many great things happening. Trunk or treat, walk for water, Easter egg hunt, all these different things happening in the community. I don't know if you guys know how special Northgate is, but I tell you, when I tell my friends, I tell them Northgate's special. This is a good place, right? So we're going to talk today about the Old Testament. There's lots and lots of books. The Old Testament, if you would, if you've got a Bible near you, I want you to grab it, okay? If you brought your Bible, if there's a Bible on your chair, I want you to grab it. Please do so. If you did not bring a Bible, but you have, you know, an iPhone or an iPad or an Android or a Droid device or something with the Bible app on it, open it up and get to the book section. Now, if you would, take your thumb and put it right there at Genesis 1. In the church Bibles, that's like page (laughs) 1-ish. Okay? Now, if you don't mind, if you would thumb through all the way to Matthew... Okay, Matthew's beginning of the New Testament. All the way. My goodness, that is a lot of Bible. This is the New Testament. This is the Old Testament. You see the difference in size? Now, how many of us would say, you know what, I've read all that Old Testament? Probably not very many of us, because it's huge, and it's not exactly easy to read if you don't understand it, right? 
So there's this New Testament, which is very important. I am not downplaying the importance of the New Testament, but there's this entire section of the Bible. And look how big that is comparatively. There's an entire section of the Bible that people just skip over because they don't understand it. So I want to give you a few tools today to help understand that. There's an amazing wealth of knowledge in here, and it's an incredible story, but for many of us, we just pass it over, or we don't focus there. Hopefully, by the end of today, you learn two things. There's two things I hope that happens through this time. One, that you understand what the Old Testament is a little bit better. And two, that you know the story of the Old Testament. Because there is a story throughout the entire Old Testament, and I hope that you understand those two things a little bit better today. I'm going to teach you some things, some practical tools on how to look at it and read Scripture. But, uh, you know, I told Pastor Ken, I said, you know, it's great that you're letting a musician up on stage speak to people. This is great. We usually, you know, we're only going through the Old Testament, so we're going to be here just a couple of hours. And if you didn't go potty, and I'm a dad of a two and a half year old, sorry, potty, you didn't go potty, uh, too bad, you're going to be stuck here a little bit. So that's a joke. That's a joke. You're not going to. About 20 minutes. The Old Testament is a narrative history about God's interaction with mankind. It shows us that God has always desired a relationship with us. It's not simply a history lesson. It's a living, breathing, soul-stirring story about God's grace. But how do you understand it? How should we read it? Is it important? Yes. So let's talk about it a little bit. First of all, where should we start when it comes to the Old Testament? Where should we start? Any guesses? At the beginning. That's a great option. Let's go to the beginning. If you've got your Bibles, open it up to Genesis 1. In the beginning. Now, you can go all over the Old Testament, but if you've never read the Old Testament before, it might be a great place to start. Just right there, Genesis 1. And I guess uh, one, page 1-ish in your Bibles. There's all these other pages here, but it's right in there if you see it. Genesis 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. That's it. We're going to stop right there. There's a lot of theology in just three or four verses right there. In the beginning, there was nothing. There was God. There was no earth, there was no formation, there was nothing, there was no humanity. Then God spoke and there was light. Okay, that's the very beginning of our story. And God creates for days. He creates the whole earth. And if you talk to biology and scientific professors, they'll tell you that the ecosystem of our world is so intricately interwoven. That's a big word. Intricately interwoven that it's specifically designed somehow to work. Everything was made according to its kind. Now, then he comes to man, and God made man in his own image. So from the very beginning, when there was nothing, God created us and said, I want to have a relationship with this man. I want to have a relationship with this woman. I want a relationship. That's where we get started. In this first five books we read in the Old Testament, it's called the Torah. And the Torah is what outlines the beginning of humanity's relationship with God. The Torah is what outlines the beginning of humanity's relationship with God. It's the story of how God had interacted and from the very beginning set us up 
to have a relationship with him. That's the first five books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? In the beginning, there was nothing. There was no one. It was void. Then God began creating. And he created Adam and Eve. And I'm sure you know the story of Adam and Eve, how badly Eve screwed it all up, right? I'm just joking here. I'm just joking. They both ate the fruit, right? All the women are like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. They both ate the fruit, okay? So there was sin in the world, okay? Now, what happens when they ate the fruit? All of a sudden, they realized they were naked, right? They realized they were naked, and they could not get close to God anymore. So there was sin, and there was consequence for that sin. And if you keep reading through the Old Testament, especially this first part in Genesis, you realize there was consequences for the sin. There is always a consequence for sin. Always. A just God would not be just if he always rewarded us for no reason. Right? I spank my kid every once in a while. Not hard, okay? Am I a good dad? I think so, because he learns. I got spanked a lot as a kid. Surprise. God, there's, God has made it, there's always consequence for sin. There's always a separation in there. Sometimes that's all the consequences is that you're separated from God. But in the very beginning, that happened. So as we read through the Torah, there's two important things. There's two important things to the entire Old Testament that if you remember nothing other than these two words, I want you to remember these two words. Context and covenant. Say it with me. Context and covenant. Good. Context and covenant. Context and covenant is everything when reading the Old Testament. Now you have lots of space in your notes to write lots of different things. You can write whatever you want in there, whatever God's put in your heart, but just please write down context and covenant. It is that important. If you do not understand this, it will be utterly disheartening to read the Old Testament. You will not get so much of it. Context and covenant. Context is very, very simple. Everything has context. Every story has context. History has context. Think of World War II. Could you tell the story of World War II without telling the story about what is happening in Japan, what is happening in Germany, what's happening in America? Could you tell that story? Not really. You could tell about a war, but you wouldn't really understand what happened during that time. Or I could tell you the story about the time where my son and I were watching this baseball game happen and we're sitting on the couch and this guy is hitting home runs out of the park all day long, time after time after time after time. There's like 30 times in a row and our jaws drop. It is amazing. And what I could tell you is that in the context of the story, I'm holding a Wii remote. I'm playing Wii baseball. Right? That's a pretty important thing, context. I could tell you what happened, but if you don't understand the background of what's happening, it's really hard to understand the story. Context is important. Now, in the Old Testament, throughout the entire thing, you're talking about an ancient Middle Eastern culture. Okay? We're not in America in the 2000s. We're not even in Rome, in Greece at that time. The Old Testament ends, and then 400 years later, you meet up with Jesus and and, and the and, and the nation of Rome overseeing so many of the area. We're talking about an ancient Middle Eastern culture, and at that time, there were many gods. There were gods for fertility, for farming, for everything you could imagine. And your job as a human was to not tick them off. 
So you offered sacrifices up to them, right? You offered sacrifices up to the gods, the many different gods, so that they didn't get angry at you. And when God came into the picture with the nation of Israel and he said, hey guys, you've got it all wrong. I created you and you've you've screwed it up. There's only one of me. I am God. I'm it. And I'm not here to be appeased. I don't need your sacrifices and your offerings to appease me so that I don't smite you. He says, I want you to be in relationship with me. I want you to have a relationship with me. And the way we can do that is through covenant. And in, through the covenant, I want to bless you. Now, that is completely radical. You see why that's such a big deal right off the bat? And if you didn't understand that context of the story, it may be difficult for you to understand the story in general in a more powerful way. Context is in their ancient Middle Eastern culture. C- covenant. Here's covenant. A covenant is how God created the way so that we could have a relationship with him. Ultimately, he creates a covenant with a certain group of people right off the bat. We learn about that when what we call the Abrahamic covenant, okay? If you want to write that down, Abrahamic covenant, and that's in Genesis 12 through 17. A covenant is this, in the most simple and basic of terms, it is this, parties, terms, and promises. Parties, terms, and promises. There are three things to a covenant. You think of it semi-like a contract, but it's not. You can walk away from a contract. You cannot walk away from a covenant. The covenant is this, it's the parties. So with Abraham, the parties would have been Abraham and God. The terms, you can read about that in Genesis 12 through 17, what God wants to do. And the promises is that God's going to give him into the promised land. He will become the nation of Israel that will be blessed. Parties, terms, and promises, there's always those three things. Okay? It's not just a contract you can walk away from. This covenant is very important because it guides the rest of the story. If you don't know that God made a covenant with Abraham early on, then it's going to be really difficult for you to understand why they were leaving Egypt to go into the promised land and they find the promised land so important. Covenant. Now, we could talk for days about covenant. We could talk for days about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. There are so much. I'm giving you a 50,000-foot view. If you want some more information about this, there's a class happening tonight here in this room from 6 to 8 p.m. One of our teachers in our Bible studies is teaching this tonight, teaching on context and covenant and more. And if you want to know more about that, come hang out 6 to 8 p.m. right here, okay? I just want to make sure we're still awake. I'm giving you a lot of information. I realize I'm coming at you fast with it, but I under hope you understand. I got to go over that huge section in the next two hours. That's all I've got with you guys. <laughs> God made a covenant with Moses. Okay, we learn about the covenant with Moses in Exodus 19. It's where we get the things like Ten Commandments, the laws, and so many different things. God made a covenant with Moses. Now, each covenant was established so that God could be in relationship with the Jewish people. Each of them tell of two things. There's sin, which leads to separation from God, right? We talked about that earlier with Adam and Eve. Sin separates us from God and the relationship we can have with him, which leads to a process of redemption brought about through the sacrifice of a clean, pure animal. Brought about through sacrifice through something pure and clean. Now, why God continually chose blood sacrifice, I'm not sure. I'll ask him when I get there, hopefully, if I can remember, or maybe I'll know it all. I don't know. But that's the way it was chosen, and the sacrifice had to be the best they could offer. And through the sacrifice they offered, 
God would be able to grant them grace. All of a sudden, you could come into contact with a perfect God. You could not necessarily come into physical contact, but you could be in relationship with Him again. That was how it worked. Remembering the idea of, con- of covenant is going to be important through the Torah, and then as we move into the next section. The next section is the historical books. The historical books tell a story of God's early relationship with the Jews. Okay? And that's the next 12 books. Starting with Joshua, ending with Ezra. Okay? That's the historical book, starting with Joshua, ending with Ezra. Now, different people break this up in different ways. This is the way I've chosen to do it. Um, I'm basically just trying to explain huge chunks of scripture to you in a very small time. But what stands out in the historical book is God's persistence. God's persistence. You find out time after time and again that God is persistently pursuing a relationship with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people. He's persistently pursuing a relationship that is important to him, that he would have a relationship with them. And yet they got all these guys who are screwing it up. You look at a guy named David. You know the story of King David? David and Goliath, right? A young boy grabs his stones, flings it with a slingshot, Kills the giant, king of the day, he's happy. Well, eventually he does become a great warrior and then a great king. The story goes on about David where one day he's up on his roof and he sees a little hottie over on the rooftop over there (laughs) bathing and he likes what he sees. Now, she's married and her husband is off at war for King David. So, what does David do? Hey, the husband's away, the wife will play. David... Ends up getting her pregnant. Now he calls the husband back from the, from the, from the front lines and says, you got to spend time with your wife, man. You know, hey, like have some fun because he's gotten Bathsheba pregnant. And he wants to cover it up. And ultimately the man says, I can't do that. I can't lay with my wife while my men are off at war. I can't do that to them. So he stays away from her. So then David's stuck with this. Now he's, now he's got a problem. He can't cover it up. So what does he do? He sends the man to the front line of battle so that he knows he'll be killed. And the man ends up being killed and David takes Bathsheba as his own wife. That's jacked up. That's messed up. That's messed up. And yet most of our Psalms have, not most, part of our Psalms are written by David. Part of this Old Testament is written by him. He was considered a great king because what happens to him later is that eventually a prophet named Nathan comes in and says, hey, David, God knows what you did. You can't fool anybody. God knows what you did. There's a consequence to sin. You're not walking with God right now. There's a consequence to that. So what happens is his first son dies. Gets ill and he dies. And David could be devastated at that point. He could walk away from God and God could walk away from him essentially. But God didn't. He pursued David and eventually David has another son named Solomon. Solomon the Wise, King Solomon, Song of Solomon, Solomon's Temples. You getting an idea? Solomon. And you know what's crazy is that this murderous adulterer turns out, guess where Jesus, his family heritage line comes from? David. Unbelievable. There's always a consequence to sin that when you separate from God, when you put something in between you and God, something that's not pure and holy, then there's always a consequence for that. And the way to atone for that in the Old Testament was through blood sacrifice, purity. That's why covenant's so important. But David, man, he's, he's reborn into that 
Grace upon grace upon grace. Sin does not come without consequences. It does not come without grief. But God continually redeems the lives of those who screw up and come to him, ask for forgiveness and change. The rest of the Old Testament is summed up in these three major sections. And now this is a large section and we're just going to go right over. Three things. The writings, the major prophets, and the minor prophets. Okay? The writings, they are uh, from uh, Job through Song of Solomon. Man, there's some good stuff in there too. You read Job, that is a crazy story. Remember it in the idea of context and covenant and it might make a little bit more sense to you. You think about Song of Solomon. Now, in, in <clears throat> young Jewish boys weren't even allowed to read Song of Solomon. That's how racy Song of Solomon is. So if you're a single man or woman in here and you want to learn how to talk to each other, read some Song of Solomon. That stuff's good. Okay? Read some Song of Solomon. There's also the Psalms. I used to think sometimes, whenever you thought about the Psalms, I would think about a guy like sitting in a big like marble room with a like harp. <laughs> reciting these perfect Psalms. And yet you read them and you listen to David and he is yelling at God. Yelling at God. He is angry at God. And you listen to the other Psalms. There's this one where basically a worship leader has written this, this Psalm to say, ah, I've given up on you guys. It's a worship leader standing up there with his instrument. And in our context today, it would be me standing over the guitar and saying, whatever. And that's in the Psalms. There's so many good things in the Psalms there. The major prophets are Isaiah through Daniel. Can anybody guess why we call them the major prophets? They wrote more. That is it. <laughs> They're bigger. That's all. They wrote more. They're not more important. There's not like the major, the big guys, and then the little guys. It's just that they wrote more. So then the minor prophets are Hosea through Malachi. I love that guy. (laughs) Why are they minor? They wrote less. less. Right. Now the prophets, there's kind of two functions to a prophet. A prophet is essentially the mouthpiece of God to the people. Now a prophet can prophesy about what's going to happen in the future. and, And Isaiah did. Isaiah said where Jesus was going to be born. He said how? He said he was going to die. There was a prophecies all about Jesus a long time before Jesus came around. And they also talked to the people, okay? So not only did they just prophesy, and it's not like Nostradamus, okay? He's not sitting in a room predicting things that may or may not happen, and it's so general that it probably will. He's saying some very specific things, and those things came true. Those things happened. And then on top of that, he's, they're also talking to the different people in the Jewish nation, because at that time, there wasn't necessarily a king coming down the line. Not always, but towards the end. While reading all of these sections, it's utterly important to remember covenant and context, because so much has changed about the Jewish people's relationship with God by this point. But you know what hasn't changed? God still speaks to his people, his imperfect people. David, the man we talked about earlier, wrote lots of the Psalms. And Jonah, Jonah's in there. How many of you guys know the story of Jonah and the whale? My goodness, man, what a crazy story. He's a prophet of God. He's not just some average guy. He's a prophet. And God says to him, go to this town over here. Go to this town over here and tell them to repent and turn around. And Jonah says, no, they're crazy. I'm getting out of here. He gets into a boat. There's a storm. They throw him overboard into a whale. And all of a sudden, he gets spit up out of that whale on the land. And he's right where God put him. 
You know what's crazy is the land he, go, he comes into, one of their main gods. This, is, this blew my mind when I found this out. One of their main gods, you know what the symbol for that god was? It was a half fish and half man. That's kind of nutty, isn't it? You think God didn't plan some things? So often in the Old Testament, there's this idea that people have told me, and I used to totally agree with it. And you can say, yeah, and then I'll tell you you're wrong later. But what happens is there's, there's the, what, what they'll say is there's God's history. It's his story, right? That it's God's story. And that we, it's interwoven in our lives, the history. His story is interwoven in our lives. And what I'd like to say to you today is his story is not interwoven in our lives. Our lives are interwoven in his continual persistent story. And that story has never changed from the very, very beginning of the Bible that he wants a relationship with you and he wants a relationship now. He'll do anything. He'll do anything to get that relationship. That is the continual story. There is no different story from God. Your story changes on when you come in and out of relationship with him, when you're living right and when you're not living right. That story changes, but God's story never changes. His story is the same from the very beginning of Genesis all the way through. Imperfect people over and over again. This, this section is filled with God speaking through prophets, poetry, love notes, and so much more. So much more. The idea of covenant. Let's revisit that for a second. The idea of covenant. That in the old covenant, in the old covenant, there were parties, terms, and promises. Sin separated us from God, right? And all of a sudden, we've got to come into the place where we have some terms with God, and God wants to be able to bless us, and this is how we come in relationship with Him. And there's promises to do that, that He will bless them. His promises to do that. Now, when Jesus comes... You can understand when he says, I've come to give you a new covenant. You can understand when he becomes the final and ultimate sacrifice. This is a big deal. Up to this point, up to this point, we've offered up to God our sacrifice. A clean, pure animal, a blood sacrifice up to this point to atone for our sins. That word atonement. To pay for our sins, to wash them away. Up to that point, we had sacrificed and God says, you know what? It ends today. I'm sending my son. He's going to be perfect. No sin in his life. And yet, you, though these people reject him, he's going to offer his life as a living sacrifice. He's going to sacrifice himself for them. He's going to go on to that cross and he's going to die. God says it ends here. It ends now. Since the very beginning, I've been trying to make ways for you to have a relationship with me. Now I'm making it happen this way. I'm going to give my son. I have a two and a half year old son. I don't know if I'd give him up for any one of you. I don't know that I'd give him up for any one of you. God sent his only son to come down into the world. John 3.16, you guys have seen the billboard at sporting events, right? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This is the new covenant. Jesus comes down and the parties are simple. It says this, parties are you and God. Jesus is your mediator. The terms are simple. Accept me as your accept Jesus is the only way into heaven. Accept him as your savior and live your life according to that. That's the terms. And you can totally screw that up, by the way. And God still says, I've got grace for you. 
and the promise is that you're going to forever spend eternity in heaven with God, that is it. So when you read the Old Testament and you realize context, covenant, and you understand the story, what does it all mean? What does it all mean? God has always, from the very beginning of time, wanted a relationship with us. Since the very beginning, when he created Adam and Eve, he said, I create you in my own image. I create you in my own image. And Adam and Eve, what do they do? They screw it up. And God still has grace for them. Then it comes Abraham, and God promises Abraham the promised land, promises his, he will be a blessing to all nations. And what ends up happening in there? Eventually, they screw it up, and they're in slavery for a long time in Egypt. So then God has grace again, and he comes to the, the Egypt, uh, Egyptian people and says, let my people out of here. They're going to the promised land. They get out of there. They're going to the promised land. God keeps his promises there. Then the Jewish people, they get all the way at the end of Exodus. They get all the way to the end. They, get, they can see the promised land, and they send a party out to go look at it and scout it out. And they say, ah, man, I know God like just rained food from heaven not too long ago, but... These guys are big. I don't know how we're going to take them down. So God says, you, you don't have any faith. I just brought you out of Egypt. You don't have any faith. You screwed it up. You're going to stay in the desert for 40 years. None of you are getting in. 40 years. All of a sudden, you get into Joshua, and Joshua leads them into the promised land. So now there's another piece of grace on their life. Joshua leads them into the promised land. They get there. They get there and they establish themselves as a kingdom. And then they, all of a sudden they're looking around and saying, hey, they have kings. They have kings. We should have a king. So they make a king. And the king upon king upon king. Have you ever heard of the wonderful king, blah, blah, blah? The amazing king? Something they didn't write? No, usually the brutal, the tyrant, the selfish, the greedy, the powerful. It's about them. And ultimately, the, the, the kings and the nation of Israel, they failed too. God granted them their wish, said, yeah, you can have a king. They failed. And on to the next prophets. So God gives it another shot. He says, okay, we don't have a king. You're, you're in your different areas here. I'm going to give a prophet. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what I want from you. And yet what happens to those prophets? They get killed. And for 400 years, there is silence. And Jesus enters into the picture. God has grace. Grace upon grace upon grace. Sean, will you come up? So now we finish the Old Testament and it's been silent for 100 years. The Old Testament can make sense to us in the light of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Does it make sense why Jesus Christ had to come? Why he had to die? And the idea of covenant that God could have a relationship with us. You see, he went on to the cross and he died. So that we might have a relationship with God. A relationship that's dictated through grace. So that screw-ups like you and me can come into the presence of a perfect God. Sin leads to separation from God. And the only way to fulfill the old covenant is for God to provide the ultimate sacrifice, his perfect son. And even in this time with his people has turned his back on them, he still desired a relationship with them. He desired a relationship with all of us. He sent his son as the ultimate sacrifice. He didn't ask us to do anything. He sent his son. That is it. 
And that's powerful. When you read the Old Testament, I hope that you understand it a little bit differently. I hope that you're inspired to think about it a little bit differently, to dive into it, and understand that his story has never changed a bit. Not once. His story is that he wants a relationship with you, and he desires a relationship with me. Our story is interwoven in that. Would you close your eyes? Bow your heads. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. 